Welcome to the Anchored in Truth podcast. Anchored in Truth is an online ministry of Safe Harbor Baptist in Georgetown, Kentucky. Visit us online at safeharborbaptist.org. Yeah, we are on session four, week four, um, and uh, hope hope this has been helpful so far. Uh, we get into some pretty interesting uh, topics tonight. So just, uh, you know, we, we all know we live in a, a world that has a lot of confusion when it comes to sexuality and gender and marriage. We also know that, that God in His Word is clear and um, has a clear design and a clear purpose uh, for the way He has made us, and He gives us uh, truth so that we can distinguish and determine uh, how we should think about it as Christians and so that is what our goal is for this, um, this study, to think about just all the different topics related to gender and sexuality and marriage in a way that uh, God calls us to and in a way that glorifies God so that as we live that out, uh, we, f- we help others find hope and joy in His truth. You know, I, I think it's always a good thing to remember that uh, what's at stake in how we think about these topics is no less than, first of all, eternity, right? Because this is a call to follow Jesus in how we live and how we think. But also what's at stake is the joy of the people that we're talking with. Uh, because we all know that uh, when we live according to God's design, then there is flourishing, right? There is joy. There's a sense of peace, knowing that we are living out who God made us to be. On the other hand, if we don't live out our lives in the way that God has designed us, made us, created us to live, then there's always going to be this 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 tension within us, uh, this tension in how we live with others, uh, and we're going to just know like something's off, right? Something's wrong. So we're not satisfied. We're not fulfilled, and we. We, we have this longing, longing in our hearts. And, and so I think it's good to just remind ourselves, hey, what we're talking about and trying to understand uh, what God says about these topics is important. Uh, it matters in our lives. It matters in eternity. It matters for those who we're trying to minister to and to be good friends with and to, to care for. So uh, let me open us up with a word of prayer. And then we're going to watch uh, this week's uh, video uh, together. So let's pray. Father, we do just praise you uh, that you are a God who has revealed truth to us, uh, that you have given us your word so that we might be able to dis- distinguish truth from error, uh, error uh, in the world around us, but also error within our, within our own hearts and our own desires. Lord, we know that uh, this world is fallen and that sin has affected everything, even our own hearts, even our own desires, even our own goals, and the way we think about ourselves and others. And so, Father, I just pray that tonight you would help give us clarity and when it comes to the, the ideas of, of desires and temptations and orientation, that you would help us to, to have clarity about who you made us to be, but also that you would give us clarity in how we relate to others and think about others through the lens of how you've made them, and ultimately give us clarity in how we might point people uh, around us to Jesus. 
And so, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you don't mind starting the video. Hi, welcome to week four of Male and Female, He Created Them Study. My name is Dr. Christopher Yuan, and I want to just share with you a few things about desire. So there was a time when, for me, it didn't really matter. I lived as a gay man. I had no issues with being in a same-sex relationship. I was not raised in a Christian home. I came out to my parents in my early 20s. Amazingly, through that crisis, my mother came to faith, and then eventually my father did as well. I went the total opposite direction, and I was just embracing not only my desires, but also the relationships that came with it, and the and even just uh, just same-sex sex, and that was all that I thought was how to be happy. Well, all this time, my parents were praying for me, and they prayed for a miracle. My mom fasted every Monday for seven years. She enlisted over 100 prayer warriors from her church, from her Bible study fellowship group. She fasted one time for 39 days, and she prayed for a miracle. I was in dental school at that time. I was just partying and having fun and doing what all my friends were doing, just party, live it up. She prayed for a miracle. I was actually expelled from dental school. Then I moved to Atlanta, and and not only was I partying and, and having drug, doing drugs, I was selling drugs. My mom prayed for a miracle, and that miracle came with my arrest. Found myself in jail. I found a Bible in the trash can and began reading it. And at first, it was just, I got nothing better to do. But as we know, God's Word is not just ink on paper. It is His very Word. And it began to convict me. I was challenged for, from what I was reading and eventually I realized that I had put my identity in the wrong thing, that it was my desires that, that, that I was putting who I was. I was making my experience my essence. So it was in prison that not only did I surrender fully to the Lord Jesus Christ and my conversion happened behind bars, but it was also there that I realized what was my goal? Was my goal simply to, to just change these desires from homosexual to heterosexual, or was, was my goal something even greater than that? And that is holiness, to become more like Christ. And by God's grace, um, he brought me to himself and he pointed me not only to Christ, but to what that looks like in all of his holiness. So I was um, called actually to ministry while in prison. I got out of prison and went to Bible college, then on to seminary. And he's called me now to speak and write on this issue, a very important issue of biblical sexuality. And so I, you know, wrote a book with my mom out of a far country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. But then also I, I wrote a book, um, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex is Our Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. Because I really think for us to understand sexuality well, understand gender well, and how God made us male, male and female, we under, we need to understand what is desire? God created us to have desire. God himself has desires, and all of God's desires are good. God also created the redeemed man to have good desires, desires for him. But unfortunately, the Bible also communicates desire in mostly negative ways, that many of the desires that we have as human beings aren't the way, in the way that the Bible talks about it, aren't in positive ways, that 
Many of our desires aren't toward God as they ought to be. And the question often is, well, how do we know what a desire, whether it's good or whether it's bad? Obviously, there are some good desires, but the Bible clearly talks about some desires that aren't in the right direction. It's the object and it's the end, we would call this, that telos. Telos in Greek means not only end, but also purpose. So to discern whether a desire is good or bad is we need to actually look at its end, its, its, its purpose. What are we wanting? So for example, if I desire a man, well, we need to also know what's the purpose. You know, if I desire uh, to disciple a young man and point him to the Lord, good desire. But if that desire, that purpose is sexual, that's not a good desire. As we also talk about desire, we need to discern, especially when it comes to sexuality, there are different sorts of desires. I often hear people say, well, you know, I mean, I desire to be friends with someone and 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 people who would even say, you know, I'm a gay Christian. I have these desires to, to be a friend with someone. And even people who say, you know, I'm an expert as, at being a, a same-sex friend. Well, that's confusing desires with desires that are associated with sexuality. Is friendship a, an aspect of a desire that can be included in the category of sexuality? Well, here's the reality. If Friendship desires, platonic desires, meaning non-sexual, non-romantic desires are part of sexuality. That would actually make all of you bisexual. My mother, who has strong desires to be friends with her sisters in the Lord, if friendship is part of sexuality, that desire that my mom would have to be a Christian sister with her other godly sister friends, that would make her a, a lesbian or even bisexual. But of course, we, we know that that's not the case. So how is desire then better thought in terms of sexuality? Well, we need to delineate that obviously sexual desires associated with sexuality, but also that sexuality, especially the desires associated with that, there's also the romantic desires. What are romantic desires? I mean, is that similar with friendship desires. I think we all know, especially as adults, how we're able to discern the difference between friendship desires and romantic desires. And I'll be honest, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, when I was in my 20s, I had a hard time discerning the difference between friendship, platonic desires, and romantic desires. It seemed to kind of blur the lines. But if we think about it, I think we all kind of know the difference. For example, if your heart skips a beat when you see someone or you spend your days, maybe at work, kind of wondering, is she thinking about me? Or your hands get clammy. Um, you plan your, you know, you plan what you're going to do and spend your time with that person. I mean, if this is for your spouse, those are good, holy desires. But if you're having those desires for someone else who's not your spouse or not someone that you are going potentially to be your spouse and biblically married, those are not good desires. For example, my best friend, he's, he's a married guy. And what if I had those desires for my best friend's wife? That my heart skips a beat when I see her or 
I spend my days when I'm working at my computer thinking about her. So when we think about desires, we need to think about its end, its telos, but also knowing the difference between the different types of desires, platonic desires. Those are good, holy desires that we all should have. Everyone should have those. But if we also have some desires that, that have some sexual desires for someone who is not our spouse, biblically married spouse, those are desires that we need to resist and flee. But also romantic desires. If I'm having romantic desires for someone of the same sex, I need to mortify those. I need to put those to death. So understanding this can, can help us to not only understand sexuality better, but actually they can help us to minister well and to understand better this concept of, of sexuality and, and ministering to loved ones and friends wrestling with same-sex temptations or those of us who have neighbors or friends who identify as lesbian or gay or bisexual. As we discuss desire, the, the question about orientation is also what we've been discussing and reading um, in this chapter. And as we listen to this concept of sexual orientation, I think we always need to biblically critique it. Is this something that is a legitimate category? Is it helpful for us even as Christians to embrace it or to think through it? Well, to begin, I think we need to define things. That's always a good place to start. And the American Psychological Association, they define it in this way, as, as you read. It goes like this. Sexual orientation refers to an enduring pattern of emotional, romantic, and or sexual attractions to men, women, or both sexes. Sexual orientation also refers to a person's sense of identity based on those attractions, related behaviors, and membership in the community of others who share those attractions. And so I first want to kind of break this down, especially focusing on the second part, and then I'll go back to the first. But one of the main issues is how, starting from you know the mid-1800s when Freud and other psychologists and psychiatrists popularized this belief that we can actually categorize humanity according to their sexual desires. And when you think as Christians, is that something that God would even endorse or encourage? Is that something that we should embrace to actually kind of put people in these different categories strictly based on sexual desires or any desire for that matter? And I would argue a strong no. Is that how we should kind of separate now? See, the concept of orientation, though maybe initially it was just meant like a predisposition or a leaning toward, it has completely become an identity about our essence, about who we are. When in reality, sexuality is not about our, about who we are, but it really is how we are. It's what we desire and, and what we do in the relationships that we have. But is there a better category for us to think? And I, I would argue there is. It, the definition that talks about that sexual orientation is an enduring pattern of emotional, romantic, or sexual attractions to men, women, or both sexes. So we, if we just kind of broaden that out, and let's just say, I mean, is there anything in the Bible that kind of talks about something that's an enduring pattern that's kind of uh, that that related to attractions that we have and maybe specifically sinful attractions that we have. I think there is. The Bible talks about sinful nature. Paul uses 
the term sarks in Greek, which means flesh. It's our flesh that we need to resist. That sinful behavior is rooted in our sin nature, and every human being has that. And guess what? It's enduring. Guess what? It's unchosen. It's something that we need to continually resist. So I think better than thinking about this concept of sexual orientation is a much more biblical category that puts a level playing field for everyone. What what in the Bible calls something that is an enduring pattern of sinful attraction, sinful desires, or even sinful temptation? Our sin nature. And when we think about it in that realm, that then provides not only what is the true problem, sin, our sin nature, including original sin and dwelling sin. And when we do that, that clearly points a clear direction to the correct solution. Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the savior of all sin, who is victorious over sin, because that then gives us hope. It doesn't leave us bleak. It doesn't leave us hopeless thinking, I don't know what is the solution for my certain struggle with these temptations or attractions, but it points us to the clear solution. Sin is the problem and Jesus Christ is the answer. All right. Does everybody have a book? Uh, I know we have handed out all the ones we had before, so we ordered some more. Does anybody need a book that doesn't have one? Are we good? Okay. Joshua. Joshua. Walter. Can you uh, get one of those books and take it back there to Ashley? Thank you. All right. If you have your Bibles... uh, Can you open them up? We're going to flip to several different passages. Um, So uh, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 28. We're going to read that in just a minute. But when we think about this topic of temptation, desire, and orientation, really the, the, the question is, what does God say? What does the Bible say about our feelings? That's really at the heart of what we're talking about. And another another way to put that is, is God only concerned about what we do, our behaviors, or is he also interested in our desires? And that's what we're going to explore with our time together. So, the first uh, topic that we that I don't know if you had a, t- a chance to if you had a book that to work through the individual uh, uh, time what do they call that the individual experience. So every week there's a you know there's an individual experience to work through together uh, at, at home on your own uh, before we come. Uh, but if you did that you know the first topic was desire. Uh, what is a desire? Well, a, a desire ultimately is something that we want, right? That's just the simple way to put the fact that a desire is something we want. And so when it comes to sexual desire, that means it's a person or a relationship that we want. And so we get a glimpse of what Jesus has to say about that in Matthew 5, 27 through 28. Let me read that for us. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Obviously, that's one of the Ten Commandments. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. All right, so when we read that, is Jesus only concerned about the act of adultery, or is there more to it? There's more to it, right? He's concerned about their heart, right? What is driving that, uh, that potential action, uh, but ultimately the, the, the heart of what that person is wanting and desiring. So clearly, God is concerned about our desires within. And as he mentioned on the video a minute ago, you know, the goal of the Christian life is not just that we would live a certain way, right? The, the goal is not that our lives would just look outwardly like we are doing what God wants us to do, right? The, the goal of the Christian life is holiness in every aspect, holiness in our thoughts, holiness in our desires and what we want, holiness in how we live. And uh, please, the goal, obviously, is to please God in every way possible. And what we see Jesus highlighting here is that the root of sexual sin ultimately starts in the heart. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to get to the root of the problem. Uh, he wants us to discern the truth about our desires and to, to, to start there. Uh the, the truth is, so often we settle for just making sure we don't do the wrong thing. But if we don't actually address what we want and what we're thinking about and what we just continue to, to, to dwell on and the things that we want, eventually that's going to come out. And ultimately, those desires are going to capture our minds and our hearts in a way that keeps us from thinking on the Lord, on what He wants. We're going to think about those things more than our God. And so he wants us to identify the desires that we have to ask ourselves, what am I desiring? Are they godly, God-pleasing, or are they something else? And we all know we have good desires and, and bad desires. Well, how do we know if our desires are good? How do we know? Well, what he mentioned in the video I think is good. Basically, it's about the object of what we're desiring, right? Is If the object of what we are desiring is something that God says we shouldn't desire, then it's sinful. If the object of something that we desire is something that pleases God, then it's not sinful. An example, all right? So if we desire someone who is the spouse of another person, that is a sinful desire, if we desire someone who is not our spouse and we're married, that is a sinful desire. If we desire someone who is of the same gender, I'm talking about all these things obviously in a sexual way, then that is not that that is a sinful desire. All these scenarios are scenarios the Bible makes clear is sinful. And God simply wants us to recognize where our minds and our hearts are going. So often we hide those things, we, we just kind of, we don't act on them, so we think it's not that bad. And yet, it's a dangerous place. If, the, if Jesus says, if we've looked at someone lustfully, we've already committed adultery. I think that's something we should take seriously, right? Adultery is a sin. And we know that sin 
harms us in the deepest way. Sin keeps us from knowing God. And so the Bible, uh, I want to be clear, you know, it's easy a lot of times in our culture and churches to pick on a particular type of sin or, you know, well, homosexuality is just obviously wrong, so we're going to focus on that. But, you know, it's interesting that Jesus focuses on just a heterosexual sinful desire here. So what we're talking about is the Bible addresses all sexual sin. And we can't just pick one or the other and say one's worse than the other or one's better than the other, right? No, we need to examine all of our desires and think biblically about them all. Um, so that's, that's a little bit about desire, right? We need to take desires seriously, not just the action. Then, kind of related, but a little bit different, is the idea of temptation. Now, if you're like me, you probably heard... Uh, people talk about temptation. Well, you know, temptation, everybody experiences temptation. It's not that bad as long as you don't do anything with it. And that's true to a degree, but there's a little bit more to it than that. So let me ask, is being tempted sinful? No? Sometimes? Okay, so we have two different answers right? So let's first look at Jesus, right? Hebrews 4, 15. Hebrews 4, 15. And I'll read that for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So, in Jesus's case, was his being tempted sinful? No, it wasn't, right? Jesus never sinned, and yet he faced temptation. And we know that he faced temptation in the wilderness, Satan, but he faced temptation throughout his life in every way, it says, as we are. So, when we think about temptation, we can think about two aspects of temptation. First, there's a trial that tempts us, right? Uh, a hardship, some, some type of suffering, or uh, something we lack. We can also think about temptation in terms of an enticement. In other words, a desire to relieve that trial in some way. And Jesus experienced both of those. He experienced hardships, suffering, even to the point of the cross, uh, the greatest suffering anyone has ever experienced. And he experienced the temptation to relieve that suffering, right? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me so I don't have to endure this. And we know that, you know, Jesus could command the armies of angels to come and deliver him from the cross. And yet he did not give in to that temptation. But the difference between us and Jesus is a big difference. And that is that Jesus, being God, had no sin nature, right? He, he had a divine nature. We, as fallen human beings, have a sin nature. We're born with it. Uh, which means that sometimes our temptations can come from a different place 
than Jesus' temptations. What do I mean by that? Well, James 1, 14 through 15 speaks about this. James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Now, did Jesus have an own evil desire? No, he didn't, right? But each person, all of us, do. And James is saying our own evil desires tempt us. All right, verse 15, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So if temptation comes from our own evil, sinful desires even in the absence of external temptations, then temptation could be sinful and is an occasion for repentance. Think about it this way. You don't have to have someone walk by you in order to be tempted to have sinful desires. You can just think of that on your own, in your room by yourself, looking at the wall right? Where does that come from? That comes from our our hearts, right? The nature of sin within us. And so back to my original question, is temptation sinful? Not necessarily, but it can be. So what do we do with that, right? How do we control something that's coming from within us? Well, first of all, it's important to realize the way we respond to any sin is not to just get to continuously beat ourselves up over it and, and find out or just think we're hopeless, right? That's not the way that God calls us to respond to sin in our life. The way that God calls us to respond to sin in our life is to recognize, hey, this is fundamentally something in my life that uh, is not in line with what God wants. So the way I'm thinking right now, the way I'm desiring things right now, the way I'm being tempted right now is fundamentally off, from who God made me to be, who God calls me to be, and also to know that he offers grace and hope in our time of need, right? That he has the power and the authority to actually change our desires and our temptations. And so if we don't recognize that we might have temptations that are just temptations themselves that are sinful, then we're not actually going to bring those to our God and ask him for help, and ask him to help change our our desires and our temptations. We're just going to excuse them, and we're not going to let God do business with those things. And that's really what God wants. He wants us to recognize anything in our lives that isn't in line with him, so that we might bring them to him, and know that he has the power to work in those areas. You know, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that whether there's external temptation that may not be sinful or internal temptation that comes from our sinful natures, Jesus gives us grace to escape it all. He pays for it. He pays for our sins. Um, In his resurrection power, he gives us the ability to turn from sin. He gives us a new heart. We are new creations. And he gives us the power and the strength to live a life that is holy 
and pleasing to him. So I think that the takeaway with temptation is don't just write off temptation as, well, I don't have any power over that. That was just a passing thought. That's not really sinful. Really, we're letting ourselves off the hook when we say that, right? It's really, where's this coming from? Why am I thinking this way? Why are my desires bent toward this? And to know that God can change even that about us when we trust Him, when we hold to Him, when we are seeking Him. The third thing we'd see is uh, the idea of sexual orientation. Now, we hear this in our culture all the time, right? When people identify themselves as heterosexual orientation or homosexual orientation or bisexual orientation, right? That this is how people identify themselves. The American Psychological Association, he, he uh, quoted very quickly on the video, says that orientation refers to an enduring pattern of emotional, romantic, and or sexual attractions to men, women, or both sexes, and refers to a person's sense of identity based on these attractions. This is how our world defines orientation. It's just simply we are oriented based on our pattern of what we want and who we see ourselves to be, our identity. Now, there are several reasons that people give today to disregard what the Bible says and teaches about our orientation, right? Some people would say that orientation, we live in a modern world, right? And the Bible doesn't really have a category for the way that people identify themselves today because the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and the world has changed, and the Bible isn't really relevant to how people are today in the modern world. We hear that. In other words, the Bible didn't really know about homosexual or bisexual behavior or identities. Secondly, we, we hear people say that the Bible doesn't really address people in committed same-sex relationships. It only addresses the, the act over by itself, but not in a committed uh, relationship. We could say a marriage or something like that. And so the Bible doesn't address that. It just addresses an act. And... To both of those questions, when we study God's Word and we read it, we actually find, no, God addresses all of that. None of these things are a surprise because these things, these thoughts, these feelings, these desires are as old as the Garden of Eden, right? Sin, when it entered the world, affected everything. It affected all of our desires and thoughts, orientation, all that stuff. And the Bible addresses and gives a clear understanding, first of all, of what God intends, but secondly, it addresses the ways that we go wrong and that the desires in and of themselves are actually sinful. And so to build our identity, I think it's important to note, to build our identity on our desires is a dangerous thing. And that's really what, what happens when people say, hey, I identify as this sexuality. They're basically saying, I am who I am because of that thing. And the Bible says, no, we are who we are because of who God made us to be, 
not because of anything else, not because of any experience we have in life, not because of any desire we have in life. It's simply who God made us to be, the way he made things. We are who God says we are, who he made us to be, and not how we feel. That's hard for some people to accept. Now, why would it be hard for people to accept that? What's that? Yeah, a lack of belief in God himself, right? A trust ultimately more in their own experiences than in a God. And feelings are powerful, right? Desires are powerful. Goals and our own want, wants in life are powerful things. Desires can be strong. And without the presence of an omniscient, all-powerful God, we will, we will give in to our desires above what God says, right? It's a, it's a, a, a thing in our hearts. And so we, uh, we, we tend to put our, and elevate our experiences over revealed truth. That's the human nature we live in. You live your life. You live your reality. That's what we hear all the time. And God says, trust me, trust me. And so as Christians, we are called to be people whose desires are conformed to God's law, right? Which means we have to put to death or mortify any sinful desires that are opposed to him. Galatians 5, 16 through 24 says this. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. In other words, no matter how you think you identify yourself, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What this calls us to is to an identity that is tied to God's Spirit in us instead of an identity of how we live and want to live out of our desires. We walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh called to crucify the flesh and pursue the desires of God. This is really a call to self-denial, a fundamental truth of the Christian life. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Now, when somebody says, hey, my orientation is homosexual, that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and follow his way. And so it's really a matter of faith. It's really a matter of faith. Do we believe Jesus' way is better than what I think my life should look like? Do we believe Jesus' way is better than the way I think I feel? Or not? When we desire God and His will, and we deny our fleshly desires that are not in line with His word, we experience everlasting life. We experience God's life for us. And we do so by trusting the one who perfectly desired and fulfilled God's law, Jesus Christ, whose spirit gives us new hearts and new affections. That's the answer, right? Jesus changes our affections. Jesus changes what we love. Jesus changes what we desire as we walk with him. Doesn't happen necessarily immediately, on the spot, lightning bolt. But it's a steady walking with him and a steady changing of heart. It's called sanctification. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, many of you all know who that is. She, she is a, a lady who's a Christian, godly Christian lady, who at one point identified as a lesbian. And God saved her radically, changed her heart, changed her desires. Uh, she has a website with a ton of resources on... Uh, uh, issues pertaining to gender, sexuality, and marriage, and those types of things. But she, you know, talking about mortifying the flesh and overcoming these desires, uh, she uh, uh, she had some some good practices for us as Christians to do in order to to see God changing our hearts and our desires. First, some of these are pretty basic, but some of them are just um, thought provoking. So first, live as a faithful member of a Bible believing church, meeting for worship, prayer meetings, fellowship, and Bible study. Sometimes we just overlook the fact that God can change our hearts incrementally simply by listening to regular times in God's Word, regular times of worship. I think a lot of times we look for those times where we come together and worship and God just does something amazing all at once, and we forget to recognize God can do little by little changes in our heart along the way. And so that's where it's important, just be there. Right? Put ourselves in a place where we hear from God and know that even if we don't see a, a massive change on the spot, that we're hearing truth and God, the, those seeds are being planted in our minds and in our hearts that can bear much fruit in due season. Uh, then we, she says, cultivate honest accountability in church. Ask for prayer. Check in with someone you know or your pastor for accountability and, uh, and just have people you can talk with about that. Second, third, know your enemy besetting and indwelling sin is predatory and it will not stop until it kills you. If you struggle with sexual sin, have no contact with pornography or secret lovers, or physical or non-physical, virtual or real. Fourth, do not misuse Christ by asking him to baptize your feelings. Instead, ask Christ to fill up your heart and soul and create your feelings. That's getting to the, the desires, right? The temptations from within. Ask Jesus to shape your feelings. And fifth, 
Do not do ministry if you are experiencing out-of-control sin, such as lust or sexual temptations. Do not think you can minister alone from your weakness. So just some things to think about there. Um, I've got some a few questions. Man, I talked a long time tonight. Sorry, guys. Uh, and uh, take about five or, or ten minutes to, uh, we'll do one or two groups in the middle, one or two groups over here. We'll just do one group over there, one group over there, and one group in the middle for, not, for tonight. And uh, there's a few questions to discuss, and we'll talk about them for just a few minutes and uh, wrap up. And I know there's, there's a lot, those questions, there's a lot to think about, right? Um, and I think that just goes to show, you know, this world, there's a lot of challenges in a, living in a fallen world. And this, that's why it's important we, we want to think clearly and deeply about these things as, as best we can and lean on each other. You know, we don't have to figure it all out by ourselves. We have got, there's, there's a wisdom and a multitude of godly counselors, right? And, um, there's a reason why we need each other to think through these things. But, you know, I, I think a couple of things I just want to wrap up with. And there are, if you have a, uh, a workbook, there's some some written out answers to pretty much those questions that are on that sheet. You can, can read through those and think through those some more. But I think uh, just some main points uh, to remember. Uh, you know, we learned that if one desires sin, then the desire itself is sinful, right? If our desires are towards sin, then we need to recognize those desires are fundamentally flawed. But we also recognize that God can transform our desires, right? God changes what we want as we walk with Him, as we submit to Him. That's really what He's calling us to do, to submit those things to Him. To take the thought, those thoughts captive so that we may honor Christ. Uh, I think the other thing I want us to think about is applying this to how we live with other people, right? We know that it's a challenge living in a world where we work with people. We have family, friends who are identifying themselves with a homosexual orientation or bisexual orientation or the desires that they have and that, you know, we have to ask ourselves, how, how would we respond? How would you respond as a follower of Jesus Christ to someone who says they identify as a homosexual? That's their orientation and believes that they are actually avoiding sin by not acting out on their desires. How would you respond if somebody said that? Because, the, I mean, the, the reality is you'll probably f- come across somebody who says that. Somebody who says they're a Christian, but they identify as having a homosexual orientation, but they don't act on that. How, what would you say to them if they said something to you about that? <laughs> okay. In other words, you're living uh, on a, in a dangerous place. <laughs> Saying that, why is that dangerous, though? Why is it dangerous to to phrase it the way that 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 person phrased it? I think it gets down to the idea of orientation, right? Right. 
Because fundamentally, when somebody says, I have a homosexual orientation, they're saying, I am this, right? This is my identity. This is how I identify myself. And this goes back to how, who God made us to be, right? As Christians, we identify first and foremost primarily as Christians, right? Followers of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's who we are. Redeemed sinners. And to say, no, I identify myself with a particular sin is the same thing as saying who's somebody who struggles with uh, greed. I identify myself as having a greedy orientation. Like We just don't go around saying that, right? We don't identify ourselves by our struggles. We identify ourselves that we have a Savior who redeemed us from our struggles. And so when somebody thinks in terms of their orientation, that's who they are, they're already on a path of forgetting who God made them to be. And that's a path that leads to, like, like you said, to giving into sin, right? This is, we buy the lie, this is just who I am. And it's the opposite of dying to self for the sake of following Jesus, whose way is better. And so this is not demeaning, meant to demean them at all. People genuinely believe that's who they are. But it's also a reminder to us who know Jesus that that's not who he made them to be, right? That there's something better that God has for them than how they see themselves. Something more fulfilling, something more lasting, something that gives eternal hope and a life with God. And so when somebody comes to you and identifies with that, it's an invitation really to let's sit down and see who God made you to be, who he wants you to be, and how he made you to flourish with him. And let's look at that and explore that together, right? It's, it's not, you can't just give them a, a cursory one-liner and be like, oh, they're going to get it. No, they, they believe these things to the, the core of their being. But we also believe God's word has power and how he's revealed himself through his word and how he's designed us and showed us who he is, that he can do that in their heart too. He can open their eyes to see the truth, right, if we made them to be. And so just uh, continue to, to think on these things and, and prayerfully consider, you know, hey, how, how can I respond to people who around me who are dealing with these things? How can I point them to the hope of Jesus Christ, even in the midst of their struggles? And uh, we trust that God will, will work in his way and in, in his timing. So let me uh, close us out with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all truth, that your truth works in power through your spirit in our lives to overcome our fallen natures, to give us a new nature, to make us new creations in Christ, and that you are continuing to shape our desires toward Christ's likeness for all who believe. And that we have this hope that one day our desires will be perfectly in line with you as we see you face to face. But until that day, Father, give us grace in our time of need. Help us to extend grace to those in need around us, pointing them to the hope of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.